This is InchaTech Perspectives with Bolt, and this is part two of my conversation with Ari Katz. Ari is co-founder of the original Bolt platform. He remains with Bolt, and he now leads Bolt Ventures. So you all know the Bolt concept, and it makes total sense now. But once upon a time, it probably seemed kind of crazy. So imagine then what it felt like to pitch this brand new idea. Many thought we were completely nuts because、uh, we were trying to swim against the stream. So、uh, everybody was saying, "No, we won't sell other cares products, right? Why would I sell someone else? Is my competitor?" Obviously, things have now moved on considerably, and so Ari and I talked about ecosystems. So I do truly believe that either buy or partner with things that are not part of our core and can create a lot of value for both sides. And partnerships. As long as it augments our offering, it's a win-win for us. It's episode ten. Thanks for listening. So Ari, it's really good to pick up on where we left off. And as we were chatting away just now before I hit record, you mentioned that you feel that the intertech space. Doesn't so much need new capital because we can all see there's plenty of that right now, but rather new ideas and innovation and talent. So if I link that into what I can see from the outside, it feels as though Bolt's approach to innovation and ideas is pretty agnostic. You'll just as happily create something new. Or maybe buy something existing, or forge a new partnership. I guess build it, buy it, or borrow it. But how easy is it to know which of these directions you should go in? In some areas, it's clear that we need to own it and to build it, and、uh, because it's part of our core.、Mm-hmm. But I truly believe, and before we founded the ventures, that you should buy and borrow, and not build it yourself.、Mm-hmm. I think this is one of the things that we've seen with insurance companies that they are. Carriers, the insurance carriers that like to build everything and not buy. So that's the classic discussion with the carriers whether build versus buy.、Mm-hmm. So I do truly believe that either buy or partner with things that are not part of our core and can create a lot of value for both sides. Yeah. So、uh, yeah, a lot of money was invested. I talked about last year, but if you look at the last two years,、uh, it's 24 billion. You get a lot of people. You get a lot of money. They do a lot of sophisticated things. Some succeed, some don't succeed. But our plan is to tap into them and work with them. We were already approached by several VCs that want to invest in cases where we partner with a company and they see that it automatically will increase the value. So, so that's a win-win across the board. So, definitely, there is something there. Yeah, and I guess because it's not a vanity project as a company, you don't mind. You very much seem to be aware of when it's right to build and when it's right to borrow or to buy, which I think is important. And how important is? Your own intellectual property, and is this why Bolt has so many R and D centers scattered across the world? Yeah, so clearly IP is important, right? That's the basis in high tech and what we provide, and we do have a lot of tech being developed in house. But we don't want to be limited to our team, which are focused on on what we need to do on on the business needs and the clients and innovation, which is all great. But、uh, we will never be able to do.、Um, All the stuff that's being done in all the different companies around the world. So that's why we tap into them and embrace other solutions, other IP, as long as it augments our offering. It's a win-win for us. 
when you launched Bolt as the Bolt we know today, essentially an insurance exchange that connects people who sell insurance and people who buy insurance, you were the only company who offered what Jim Duane, Bolt CEO, refers to as co-opetition, enabling insurance carrier competitors to collaborate behind the scenes and sell the other carrier's products if these fall outside their product range or their risk appetite. And the only other option, I think, at the time, I guess, was using an insurance comparison rater. So the, the first big deal you struck under this model was one of America's biggest auto insurers, a household name, who worked with a competitor to sell the competitor's home insurance. Can you recall pitching that idea? And did it take much persuasion for people to adopt it? Or did they think you were completely nuts? <laughs> So yeah, first of all, uh, many thought we were completely nuts because uh, we were trying to swim against the stream. So uh, everybody was saying, no, we won't sell other care's products, right? Why would I sell someone else? Is my competitor, <laughs> right? And when we started with a small call center that they had to test it out and see if uh, using a choice will improve with, the, with their conversion, with client retention, so they were very successful mm -hmm. and added, of course, their direct-to-consumer offerings and other capabilities around API and partnerships. But the, the whole idea is being able to sell other carriers under your own brand where they are providing the, the actual coverage, but you are providing the distribution. So mm -hmm. people come to you as a destination. I want to get insurance, I'll go to this distributor and I would get either their product or someone else's product that they have already vetted that can help me fulfill what I need from uh, covering my risk, but all in one place, one destination. Yeah, it's smart because it enables brands to say yes to more customers and to retain more customers. And a lot of this is behavioural economics, I suppose, which leads me to ask, what are your feelings on trying to lead new consumer behaviours using data versus responding to behaviours that are emerging more organically? So, for example, my teenagers seem really happy to share their data with anyone. It drives me nuts. And yet I'm of a generation where I'm a little bit more cautious on that. So uh, I'm cautious as well. I didn't send any of my data online uh, to, to share, <laughs> share with people, but uh, I, I know my kids are. So uh, yeah, definitely yeah. the behaviors are changing. And as I mentioned earlier, I think there is a lot that's coming in the, in the behavioral-based uh, insurance. What it is exactly, I don't know. I'm sure there will be a lot of products that are based on behaviors. There are some out there, I would say in small niches that reward you for different things based on your behavior, whether it's in life insurance or in uh, car insurance where you, uh, based on how you drive, you might get something. And, uh, but it's not truly products that are behavior-based. Those are reg quote-unquote regular products with some behavioral-based uh, gamification or discounts or stuff like that. So it's not a truly behavioral-based products today, as mm. far as I know. That makes sense. And also, I wanted to ask you, going back to your earliest days when Bolt was called CPAS, you mentioned that your inspiration was simply to create better connectivity for the insurance industry. In fact, the word I heard you use was to become the glue. If we consider that this is the back end of the industry, I wondered, what are your thoughts on the front end? And I think I'm asking you here about the power of brand and what carriers can do to help themselves and how the insurance industry can or should position itself, not only to new generations, Generation X, Generation Z, but also emerging markets across parts of Africa, Asia, South America. How can it help itself? To become relevant. Yeah. So from what I see uh, in the US, the brand for the carriers are, are very strong. They spend a lot of money on marketing. It's billions of dollars that are being spent on marketing. So everybody in the US knows 
the big insurance carriers. There's a lot of brand equity there. If you look at the emerging market, the big carriers don't have strong brands there. There are uh, different ecosystems that are there, different companies that are not related to insurance. I'm seeing that as the main distribution channel. So you rely on different distribution channels versus your brands. Yeah, that's really interesting because in the US, which is the birthplace of marketing and of brand, I guess, of course, people will stay very, very wedded to the brand that they know and that they love. And that's kind of the same here in the UK. I know that I bought some homeowners insurance based on a brand that I trusted. Whereas what's interesting about what you're saying with let's say Asia. And in Asia, it's, it's less so. Yeah, it's less yeah, so. Yeah, it's more about looking at other brands that have established and extrapolating their value and their brand equity and saying, well, we'll again, we'll borrow that and we'll sell insurance through you, um, which brings us back to embedded insurance or, or the other things we were talking about. So that's, exactly. that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so obviously one of the biggest changes for you in recent years is or was being bought by Boltech, an Asia-based InsurTech, and now the biggest InsurTech in the world. And that's catapulted you into a whole new set of markets what are the biggest differences? And you've already touched on this, thank you. So you may have already answered this question for me, but what are the biggest differences that you've observed between the US and the Asia insurance markets and, in fact, Europe too? From what I've seen, I think the US is much more sophisticated market than, than Asia mm-hmm. and more mature. I'll take an example, right? If you want to insure your auto in the US, there is information from third-party data. There is mm-hmm. information about the different drivers. There is information about the vehicles. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to insure uh, your auto in Asia, in many countries, what you only need to know is the type of the vehicle. So they don't underwrite the driver. Right. Or information from prior years uh, is not available. In Thailand, you had a claim. So instead of staying with the same carrier, next time you'd go to another carrier, they don't know you had a claim. So you start from scratch. So those types of things that has to do with data and with sophistication, there's a lot of room to grow in developing countries. But that's where I see the main differences uh, today. And also the type of products. So uh, the US is a very litigious society. And so there's a lot of product on protection from that area, where it's not the same in other areas of the world. And of course, I would say um, costs in general, right? If there are areas where the salaries are much lower and um, correspondingly, the insurance is much cheaper. Yeah. So interesting. And also, do you think there are any areas with the Asian market that the US and Europe might follow and go, actually, for example, competitive price? So I think it's a combination. So I think Asia will follow the US in the sense of of the data. Being able to underwrite on the driver and getting more information is something that uh, will happen. It is happening and it will happen more because it makes Mm -hmm. sense, right? There is a reason you underwrite the driver and not just the vehicle. The potential there is that they might uh, be able to leapfrog on on several steps and just go directly to uh, behavioral-based driving and auto insurance, so skipping steps in the process as they do the changes. I think what U.S. can learn from Asia is everything around ecosystems. So Mm -hmm. ecosystems are really strong in Asia. Products are sold through ecosystems, and there is a lot of value in those ecosystems, not just insurance being sold. I'm talking about everything, but specifically to our discussion, insurance that's being sold through ecosystems where banks are stronger in Asia versus the U.S., where the U.S. banks don't really sell much insurance. And so getting the ecosystem to sell insurance is something that I see coming into the U.S. We are part of it. We provide ecosystems with just an insurance capabilities using Amplify. Mm -hmm. I see that happening more and more because it's there, right? Because they have a lot of distribution in those ecosystems. It's a good place to leverage if you can just add the insurance into that transaction. Yeah, and I suppose as well, new technologies will change 
everything for all markets, American market and Asian market. I'm thinking about something like blockchain, which in theory could make the very idea of claiming redundant because you could put a if somebody died, for example, and that goes onto the blockchain, then immediately the life insurer would pay out the insurance without the person having to go through a claim. And that's new technology. So that could change that yeah. could change everything all over again. Yeah, that's parametric, right? That's basically similar to what we discussed with parametric insurance. Right. That, uh, if you have the data and there is a trigger, whether it's black blockchain or not, you can decide without the person involved what happened yeah. and then pay the claim. Yeah, Wow. And how different is the business now to how it was and how you envisioned it? So we always uh, wanted to play in the distribution space. We always said this is where we see the gap. And so the space is the same space, but a lot of change. Initially, it was mostly uh, agent distribution. Now it's still a lot of agent distribution. I'm not a believer in, uh, in the agents going away, but there is a place for the direct-to-consumer capabilities and, and, uh, and ecosystems to, to share that distribution, we continue to play and uh, continue to enhance our scales and capabilities in, in the space of distribution. So when it comes to the insurance space, you've made so many inroads. Do you feel successful? And are you still hungry for change? So yeah, I, I do feel successful you know, in what we've managed to accomplish just by looking at the volume that's running through the platform. I think it's really great to look at it and, see, and be proud of uh, what we've done. And there's still a lot to do. There's still a gap. Not every risk uh, will find uh, a solution. And uh, mm. we can help fill that gap with partners, with, our, with things that we can develop ourselves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But definitely there's still a gap and there's still places we can add new products and solutions to that, to solve that yeah. gap. Yeah, and new generations coming into insurance as well. So finally, I know that you play guitar. I also know you have a family. I'm amazed you have any spare time at all. So how do you manage your time and, and find that balance, if you find that balance? So I think there was a big change uh, two years ago. I don't think it's just for me, but for many. When you stop traveling, you have so much more time. So uh, mm. up to uh, two years ago, I was traveling once or twice, maybe twice a, year, a month, uh, Israel, US. So uh, it mm. takes a lot of time uh, around travel. And now that um, travel was uh, gone, uh, you have so much more time. And that's uh, time I can use for being with my family and, as you said, playing the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Who's your guitar hero? Do you have a guitar hero? Uh, I love Slash. Yeah. <laughs> Impressive. I'm just impressed you, you, you find the time at all. Um, Ari, thank you so much. It's been um, great to hear your story and to get some of these fascinating insights. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. And that ends our podcast. If you want to learn more, head to boltinsurance.com and do make sure you follow Bolt on LinkedIn because we'll be putting a load of bonus content on there as well. You've been listening to InsurTech Perspectives with Bolt. My name's Fiona Mattesini. Thanks for listening.